morning. My name is Pastor Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. We're thankful that you're here this morning. Um, we are working through a series called Habits. I am the kind of person that likes to kind of take a little bit of a break at the beginning of the year and to reflect and to think about my life and to think about what I'm doing and how I'm spending my time. And so I thought it would be appropriate to spend some time with you doing that same thing, slowing down and reflecting on how we live our lives. And so with habits, we're talking about what we do. What do we do that is second nature? And a lot of times when you start thinking about spiritual disciplines or doing the right things, we think of it as this forced or kind of this sheer determination that we have to put into doing the right thing. And though that's not all bad, what we're talking about this morning is different. I'm talking about how can we calibrate our hearts, incline our hearts so that these things that God calls us to do is not a homework exercise. It's not a chore that we have to do. It's not a just a um, exercise that we do because it's the right thing to do, but it is something that we long and we want to do. And listen, that's hard. That's a hard place to get to. It's not, and it doesn't just happen naturally by you being a believer. The the will or the desire to do these things is something that can be challenging. But it's my prayer that we would experience the God who reveals Himself. Through these means. And so last week we talked about God's word. It's not just do a Bible reading plan. It's my prayer is that you would hear God speak to you according to his word. And that when you hear his voice, that it would be funneled and be the wind that would carry your ship as you're just so encouraged because you know God is speaking to you through his word. It's not just get up and do it. However, we've got to get up and we have to do it. Sometimes we have to throw ourselves into it to have that experience. And it's not always easy. It's not always easy. And so this morning we're talking about prayer. Prayer is a hard thing to preach about. right? We all know God wants us to talk to him. Like we all, I think everyone in this room would, would believe and understand and know that God wants us to pray to him, but yet at the same time, we probably would all admit in this room that our prayer life is lacking, that our prayer life isn't as focused, it isn't, um, it's just not enough. And I think we would all admit to struggle when it comes to prayer. And so what makes this difficult is that we know we should be praying we know that God longs for that, and we know that we struggle with it. And the, the, the challenge for me is how not to lay out a message that's just a guilt trap, right? Because it, we're not talking about guilt. We're talking about recalibrating our hearts, like how to encourage you to pray in a way it, that it's not just guilt-motivated or determination, sheer discipline-motivated. Because we know that guilt-motivated action doesn't last. It doesn't last. Like when you do something because you feel bad, that's not a behavior that typically is going to last long. It is delight. 
We're talking about the light. The light empowers this dedication. And so it is my prayer for us and for myself that we would experience the delight, the power, the gifts that come when we pray. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. And, you know, as I was reflecting on prayer, I realized that prayer is something we struggle with. And as I was kind of thinking through this idea, I I started to, to kind of take some notes. Why is it that we struggle with prayer? Why is it that we can be hesitant about approaching God. And so I wrote down just three or three different reasons that I think keep us from talking to God. And, and as I walk through these three, Ashley was looking at my notes and she made a, a good point. And as I was thinking about it, like when I go through these statements, I don't think you're going to look at the statements on why we don't pray and say, you know what, that's Yeah, that's exactly what I say. I think subconsciously, sometimes we have these reasons we don't do do something. And so what I'm saying to you is this. I want you to look at these reasons that I'm going to walk through. And then I think it's really profitable for you to to do some reflection. Like to, to ask this question for yourself. Why don't I pray? Like why don't I pray? Like what is it? that keeps me from talking to God consistently and coherently, strategically, continually? Like, what are the reasons that I don't pray? And, and again, I don't think you're going to say, well, I, that's exactly what I say. But I think after some self-reflection, I think you might be able to understand a little bit better why you might avoid it. A couple of, of reasons. First, God's disappointed in me. How we believe what God thinks of us influences how we talk to him. What we believe about how God thinks of us or what God thinks of us determines, influences how we're going to talk to him. I remember a couple of months ago, I was on a hike and it was a hard, a very challenging hike, and it was a beautiful hike on a mountain ridge. And so you're, as you're doing this hike, you're literally looking off the mountain on both sides, and it was an exhausting hike. And you finally get to the top, of, to the summit, 5,000 feet high, and it is beautiful. And up the way, there was this little gravel road that went just a little bit higher. And so we walked up this gravel road, and as we approached the top of this mountain, on both sides, there was this wooden plank hanging off the mountain. And it was frightening to look at this plank. It was about six, seven, eight feet long, and it was right on the edge of the mountain, and it went diagonally off the mountain. And it was just frightening to look at. As we started thinking about what this was, we read a sign. What it was, it was a literally a plank for people who were hang gliding off of this mountain, 5,000 feet high. People who would choose to connect themselves to a kite and jump off of this massive mountain. I mean, it, like I could hardly go near the plank. I have a picture of it. I did go near it. It was frightening. I, I mean, I'm not scared. I'm not, you know, heights I'm fine with. But as I looked on this plank and looked down this mountain, I could not fathom 
hang gliding off of this plank. Okay, we view God like this plank. Sometimes we think God is like this plank. We're nervous. We think about our mistakes and our past, and we think about, well, I haven't prayed for a couple of weeks. I haven't read God's word in a couple of weeks. How can I talk to him now? And so that's what we do. We, we avoid him because of this fear or this recognition of God's holiness. And so we say, get, get away. Like, I can't even approach God because of what I've done and who I am. And so for some of us, we are so burdened by our guilt and our undiscipline and our mistakes that the thought of praying to God is almost like coming into his presence and getting on the plank and we are scared to do it. I mean, this is how it is in real life. If you think someone doesn't like you, you're not inviting them to lunch, Like you're not hanging out with the people that you know that that are uncomfortable with you or disappointed in you. Like you don't make it a point to be with people that you know aren't comfortable with you. But here's the thing with God's holiness. God is holy. God does not like sin. He hates sin. But yet at the same time, his love is overwhelming as I was reading the Lord's Prayer this week, I, was, I get, kept getting stuck on that first phrase, our Father. The basis that we go to God in prayer is that he's our Father. The basis by which we can talk to God is the truth that he is our Father. That changes everything. The basis by which you talk to people on what basis you can talk to people determines how they're going to respond to you, right? So if a stranger comes up to you and says, you know what, you really, that, that artificial sweetener, that's a bad idea. It's like, who are you? Like, what, where did you come from? Like, why are you telling me anything? The basis by which you, the relationship by which you have with someone determines how they're going to listen to you. And so it's interesting, the Lord's Prayer is not to the king, it's not to God above, it's not to the sovereign one. The basis in our prayer is that he is our father. When we come to him in faith, he becomes our father. John 1.12, but all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He's our dad. That's the basis. And as I was thinking about this relationship when it comes to prayer, I could, all I could think of was my little Caroline. I call her my little Caroline. My nine-year-old, eight-year-old, sorry. I, cu- I could not get the picture out of my head of coming home from work when she was just a little two- or three-year-old. And we had these glass doors, and we kind of had a townhouse, and it was wrapped around. And as I would come by, when I was come home, little Caroline would be standing there so excited. I mean, she was jumping, she was pounding, she was screaming. Daddy was coming home, and I would pick her up. And in her own two and three year old little way, she would start talking. She would just start talking. And from the very beginning with Caroline, we knew 
that she likes to talk. Like she likes to talk to us. Even today when I get home from work. Now she's not jumping and squealing. She wants to talk. She wants to hear about my day. She wants to tell me about her day. The basis by which Caroline can talk to me is that I'm her dad. And if she's had a bad day, right, if she's had a bad day, if she's made some mistakes, treated her brothers wrong or did did whatever she did wrong, and if she were to come to me at the door and I'd say, whoa, 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 Caroline, we, we can't talk right now. Nope, no hugs. We need to go through what you've done wrong. Like that doesn't, that's not how it works. Caroline, talk to me. I'm your dad. I love you. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have a conversation about her, what she's done wrong. But what I'm saying is the fact that I am her father is the basis by which she can come to me, even when she's done something wrong. But for some of us, we hold on to this guilt, and I think it impacts how we talk to God. But we've got to remember, he is our father. Another reason we don't pray we think we're wasting our time. Now, again, I don't think you say that. I don't think you consciously say, well, I'm, it's just a time waster, because then you'd feel guilty about saying that. But I think if we were to reflect, I think this would be where it comes down to for many of us. Two different ways that would lead us to saying, I'm wasting my time. First, kind of the first scenario that might be where you are is the scenario that says, I've prayed my whole life, and my life is not unfolding the way that I thought it would. I've prayed, and I've prayed, and I've prayed, and what's happened to me is not what I was praying for. And my life is hard, and I'm hurt. And so praying is a waste of time. Or some of you may be analytical, You may say, you know what, I don't believe, I can't see how, I can't analyze and understand how prayer, talking with my mind to God above, has any effectiveness. And so for the other scenario, maybe you're just more analytical. And so the idea of asking God to do something doesn't process with how you think or with what you experience. And so wherever you are... If you're in either of those two camps, it comes down to struggle with our experience. You read Matthew 7 that says, ask and it'll be given to you. And you're like, hmm, that's nice, Jesus, but not picking that up. Like, that's not my experience. Or Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer in my name, you will receive it if you have faith. And what we say is, what happens is, is that after exp- like an experience that seems opposite from this, we get discouraged. We've been praying and praying and praying, and nothing is happening. Or the opposite of what I'm praying is happening. So I just want to spend a few moments just thinking about this, kind of this idea of what happens when our prayers don't get answered the way that we're praying for, what we're hoping or thinking of. And there's many different reasons, right? And we're not going to understand always why our answers, our prayers get answered. But just a few, I think a lot of us go to God in prayer when we are living a life 
that is bathed in continuous sin. We go to God in prayer asking for this, for these things, and we say, God, give this to me, and you hear nothing in return. The first question I ask people when I hear this is, are you living in unconfessed darkness? Is there something that is giving that void in the relationship that's prohibiting God from hearing you? Also, sometimes God answers prayer differently than we want them to be answered. So many passages on this. I was, there were two passages that I was really captivated by this last week. And I want to just read these and kind of feel the experience of Paul here in 2 Corinthians 12. It's a popular passage. You've heard it before. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. It says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this so that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is saying, I have prayed, and I have prayed, and I have prayed for this challenge in my life to be taken away. And God has not listened. He's not listened. God says, I am doing something different. I am doing something different in your life. What you want to be taken away is the very thing that I have given you. You're not praying correctly, Paul. Depend on me. An even more mind-blowing passage that I think we could Spend a lot of time reflecting on is Romans 8, 26 through 28. I don't think it's on the screen. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we did not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Here's what's just, I mean, we could really spend a lot of time here. Just think about what just was said. He's basically saying, you don't know what to pray for. Like, thank you for praying. Like, that's a good thing. But you don't even know how to pray. But you know what's great? Is that the Spirit kind of like intercedes and funnels and shapes and and points our prayers to what the will of God is. And so when we say things like, well, God's just not answering my prayer. It's like, after reading this passage and thinking about this passage, it's like, do we even know what is being brought to the Father? Do we even know how the Spirit has interceded on the prayers that we are offering? God doesn't always answer your prayers the way you want him to. As I was thinking about this concept, I found a a video um, that I think does a lot better job than I can do of describing what happens when our prayers aren't answered 
our dreams aren't answered the way that we have hoped for. So we're going to watch this video, um, and then we'll continue. And I come into my junior year, and I'm about to get exactly what I want. About to get this thing called NFL. And I'm 10 games away from this dream that I wanted my whole life, right? This thing that I've been working for my whole life. My whole life is dedicated to this one game. I'm up Saturday mornings, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, two miles to a fire station, two miles back home. I'm in the park, 9.30, 10 at night, doing everything in my life surrounded the game of football. I'm sitting at home at night. I'm throwing balls up to the ceiling, and I'm catching them different type of ways, trying to see if a receiver wants to check me, if I want to catch an intercept. Like, everything revolved around this game, and I finally get in the position in my life to where now I'm 10 games away from it. I got the paperwork that states I'm about to be an NFL draft pick. NFL on top of the paper. Inky Johnson projected top 30 automatic multimillionaire. Now all you have to do, the hard part's over. Just play the next 10 football games, Ink. You, you, you made it. And I go out in a silly game against Air Force, two minutes left, and I go to make a tackle that I can make with my eyes closed. And I hit this guy, and as soon as I hit him, I knew it was a problem, but I didn't think it would be this type of problem. Like, you know how when things happen, you're like, ah, I didn't expect that, but I don't think it's going to be anything too crazy. And when I hit him, every breath in my body left. My body goes completely limp. I fall to the ground. I blacked out. My eyes open. I'm still not, you know, too concerned because it's football. I told Pastor, I never thought about a career in an injury. You have injuries within the game. When my eyes open, guys run over, ink, let's rock, man, let's go. Let's finish him off. And I'm like, I, I can't. Like, what do you mean you can't? You're a starting corner. Get up. You can nurse your injury after the game, man. Like, no, I can't. They said, what do you mean you can't? I said, I can't move. It's a shock. Neck to my toes. I can't feel anything. Shock leaves. It stays in my right arm and hand. I'm like, maybe I got a bad stinger. They put me on the spine board, willing me off the field. Doctor says to me as he's walking beside me, I don't know how you're still alive, son. You don't have any pulse. We get to the ambulance. My father's standing there. I'm like, Pops, I laid it on him, right? I put it on him, right? My dad's like, yeah, but I think you got the worst part of this for me. Doctor said, we're going to take you over, run a couple tests, bring you back into the room. Everything will be cool. They run the test. They bring me back into the room. Mom comes in, kisses, prays. Son, you'll be fine. She's going to walk out. Doctors rush in. Head boy says, hey, ma'am, got to rush him back to surgery. He's about to die. And I look at him, and I want to ask him, like, man, you can't use another word. Like, use a synonym, brother. How y'all say die? Like, you sure die, man? And he could tell from how I'm looking at him that I'm questioning. And he says to me, you ruptured a subclavian artery in your chest. You're bleeding internally. If we don't perform this surgery tonight, I guarantee you, you won't be here no more. seven years old to 20 years old boiled down to one moment. The sacrifice, the dedication, the commitment came down to one moment. And the next morning I woke up from that surgery, the NFL on my scale of life that big. SEC championship that big. Cornerback, I was embarrassed. 
I'm sitting there, and people coming into my room like, Inky, man, um, I'm sorry about what happened to you. And I'm saying to myself, uh, man, Inky, you really messed it up this time. Like, man, that's really the only thing you wanted, huh? Like, you just thought because you grew up in this um, so-called hood, two-bedroom home, 14 people. Like, the only thing you really wanted was the NFL. That's it. I'm like, man, you limited God to that? Like, life holds no substance, no value? Like, efficient but not effective? I did things right, but I never did the right thing? And now the thing I placed my identity in, now it was gone. That's why I laugh at people when they say, man, if I could just get this, I'll be. Man, if I could just get this position, I'll be. Woo! Man, if I could just get this amount of money, I'll be. I'm like, woo. But what happens even if you get it or you don't get it? What happens when God says yes and no? Like, do you have the ability to accept what you don't understand? Can you still see God's plan when it didn't go the way that you thought it would go? Can you handle when things get off course? I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, like, man, I'm eight games away and God is redirecting me. And I'm like, God, just let me get to the NFL, then redirect me. Like, let me get the contract, then redirect me so I can help my family. And God is like, no, son, I need you to really go that way. And I'm like, you sure? Like, man, I need to go this way. He's like, no, I need you to go this way. I got something greater for you. Now, it might take a little longer to manifest, but I got something even sweeter. Like, I got something more fulfilling. I got something more rewarding. I got something, son, that's going to carry you for the rest of your life. Like, it's an amazing thing. I knew this was what I was supposed to be doing when one day I'm backstage and I got the same feeling that I got when I used to be in the tunnel before I was running out of Neyland Stadium. I said, thank you, God. And so now I live my life a certain type of way according to what God has done. I live my life a certain type of way according to the power that I know the Lord possesses. I live my life a certain type. Like when I go to the Lord in prayer, I go bold. And every time I go bold, I'm so thankful that that's not me and my Lord's first time communicating. And people have the nerve to ask me all the time, Inky, why wouldn't you change what happened to you? You got a paralyzed right arm and hand. I'm like, if you only knew and if you only saw the works that God has done in people's lives around me, what he's done in me, yeah, it's great, it's cool. But what God has done in the people's lives around me, like, you can't put a price on that. Like, at a certain point, like, what is it really about? Like, and I know the initial reaction when we go through things is to say, man, why did this have to happen to me? And it's an honest reaction. Because sometimes good people go through some crazy stuff. And some of the things we go through, I'm going to just be real, it's not, a, it's not a scripture for it. It's not. You can't go, hey, go to Romans 2-2. They're like, what? It's not. But this is what I've understood. In life, some people don't need you to preach a sermon. They need you to live one. And so when they see you living it, they can connect and identify with that. The only thing I ask of you, as talented, as brilliant, as powerful, as beautiful as you are, never allow life to make you forget why you started in the first place. Meaning that first time you said, man, I'm riding with Christ, let's go. 
That first feeling you got, like that first interaction, that first connection you got, like when you first got it. It's like when people say at at the beginning, everybody is excited, everybody is on fire, but at a certain point, you hit something along the journey, and it's going to test that level of commitment. At a certain point, you're going to hit something, it's going to test that level of faith. And my definition of commitment was always staying true to what I said I would do long after the mood that I've set it in has left. Like, am I going to stay true to my beliefs and my core and my essence of who I am as an individual, even if I get a paralyzed right arm and hand? Am I going to stay true to it? Even if my little career that I thought I was going to have disappears, am I going to stay true to it? Even if one day I'm in a football game, the thing I love to do, the thing I have been practicing my whole life, and then one moment it gets wiped out, am I going to stay true to it? Because depending upon if I'm going to stay true to it, a lot of other people's belief in their Christian journey is predicated upon that and my belief in my Christian journey. In other words, I've seen a lot of other people say, Inky, I want to give my life to Christ, not because of something that happened with me, but because of something I've seen happen to you. And so when ESPN comes to me and say, Ink, you wouldn't be in the NFL right now? I'm like, if you only knew. If you only knew my father got saved because of my injury. If you only knew, my three boys that went first round to the NFL, all of them got saved. If you only knew. If you only knew, my mother, the level of effect, like, if you only knew. Like, I just seen God do some things through the injury, and I'm like, man, I just, every day I wake up, I just try to stay out of his way. I'm going to leave you with this. We already know what to do when God says yes. We already know what to do when we get blessed. We already know what to do when our prayers get answered. But the question that I have for you in this rhetorical, what will you do when God says no? A powerful video. God sometimes says no. Sometimes what we are praying for is not where he's taking us. And some of us have given up on prayer because we're disappointed and discouraged about where we are. And God is saying, I am doing something different. Two statements that help me as I think about the effectiveness of prayer. And they may seem opposite to you, but these are two things that I hold to and I hold on to when I think about God responding to my prayers. First is that prayer works. Prayer works. God has determined that his eternal plan will come to fruition through prayer. Prayer is not just positive thinking. It's not wishful, hopeful, maybe something could happen. We know that looking through the Bible that there is an example of prayer being effective. God responds to prayer and changes and makes something happen. You look at Elijah, you look at Hezekiah, you look at Daniel, you have these examples of people who prayed and things happened, things changed. Prayer is the vehicle by which things happen and God unrolls and unveils his plan. But at the same time, we will not always understand the who, or the how, the when, and the why. We will not always understand 
how prayers get answered, when they're going to get answered, why they get answered, what that's going to look like. And listen, we have to live with these two things. Prayer works, yet at the same time, we have a limited understanding of what that's going to look like. I like how Tim Keller says it. He has a book on prayer, and he says this. God will answer all of our prayers exactly like we would answer our pr- exactly like we would answer our prayers if we knew all that he knew. God answers prayers the same way we would answer prayers if we knew everything past, present, possible. If we knew everything that God knows, we would answer prayers the same way that God answers prayers. We have to trust, trust him. Hold on to that truth. A couple of last things here. Another reason we don't pray is that we would say, not maybe verbally say, but we think and believe that we have more important things to do. Other things that we want to do. Other things that we care about doing. And so prayer gets pushed to the side. And so we, are, we would say, I have things that are more important for me to do than to pray. I want to close with four words that should describe how we pray. Part of the problem is we have this warped understanding of what prayer actually is. Like we go to God like he is like a, a butler upstairs who just gives us everything we want. Like we are handing him our grocery list. Like, give me these things. And we have such a warped view of what prayer actually is that we have forgotten how to do it. Four words as we close. Confess. Our prayers should be bathed in confession. You read Matthew 5 when Jesus teaches us how to pray. A pivotal point in this prayer is when he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, we're not talking about When we confess our sins to God, we're not talking about judicial forgiveness, right? We know that in Christ, through his blood, we are in Christ. He has forgiven us for everything we've done in the past, everything we will do in the future. So when I say confess, your prayer should be bathed in confession. I'm not talking about this judicial forgiveness for your position in Christ. What I'm saying is you should confess because when you sin and you make mistakes, your relationship gets out of order. There is a disconnect relationally. And so confession is this reminder to you to say, you know what, I I have messed up. I have done wrong things, just like we do in relationships. Try ignoring your mistakes with your spouse and tell me how that's going to go for your relationship. It's not going to go well. Just because you make a mistake doesn't dissolve your marriage. That's a, we're not saying, that's not what I'm saying. Just like our mistakes don't dissolve our relationship with the Father. But when we mess up in a relationship, we say we're sorry because there's this relational void that, that happens because we've done things wrong. So we confess. We surrender. This idea of the Lord in the Lord's Prayer that says, Your will be done. Your will be done. You know better than I know. Your will be done. We celebrate. 
I'm not sure how or the development of prayer in history, how prayer became more about us than it did about God. I don't know where that came from. Prayer at the core is us worshiping and celebrating who God is. The Lord's Prayer, you read it. Your name, your kingdom, your will. It is first and foremost God-centered and God-focused worship. That's where it begins I worship you, God. We celebrate. And then lastly, we submit. We submit. That's what Philippians 4 tells us. Asking God, bringing God your requests is not wrong. Right? Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious, but let your requests be made known to God. I think it's the posture of how you bring those requests to God that means everything. Again, you're not handing him a list saying, okay, God, get to work. Like, do this. It's this idea of submission, of saying, let your requests be made known to God. Like, give him your heart and your desires like this and say, you take these, God. You know my prayer. But ultimately, I trust you and I surrender to you. So I close with just this. I want to just be real practical for a few moments. For years, I was very frustrated and very discouraged with my prayer life. Years. Um, because I've told you, I'm scatterbrained, I, get, I can't focus very well. And what I saw happening in, in my prayer life was, and I know you've never experienced these things, so I'm not projecting these, I'm just sharing a little bit about myself. Like I was falling asleep while I prayed. I know, that's not you, I know, you're focused. Or I was forgetting to pray for people who would ask me to pray for them. Someone would come up to me and say, hey, will you pray for me? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I see him the next time. I'm like, oh no, I didn't do that. I wasn't following up with people. So if someone says, can you pray for me? I'd see them and I'd forget that they'd even asked me to pray for them. And then it was, then I was realizing that there were things that I was not praying for that I should be praying for. Missionaries and people in my life and my family and my kids and and the future and all these things that I should be praying for that I'm not praying for. And there was a point years ago that I was convicted and saddened by my prayer life. And and as I was thinking about how to change this, um, I pulled out a book that a pastor gave me at Cedarville, um, and it was a prayer journal. And it's really simple, but it has changed how I pray. So I'll share that with you, and then we'll, we'll pray and be done. First page is called, I have on this page, I didn't bring it with me. It says, confession of sins on a piece of paper in a notebook, a moleskin notebook. The first page says, confession of sins. It says, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He who conceals his sins does not prosper. Whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Every morning when I pick up my notebook... I read Proverbs 28, 13. I have a prayer of confession that comes from the Book of Common Prayer that I read every single day. Now, I don't mean to throw you off guard with, the, with reading a prayer of confession, but it is a helpful thing for me to do, to think about um, what I've done and what I haven't done. And this prayer helps me direct my thoughts. And after that, I spend a couple minutes confessing my sin. I then turn the page over. There's a page that says, with thanksgiving. 
On this page, I have 31 attributes of God. Faithful, loving, creator, kind, and good, and refuge. And every one of those attributes has a number, 1 through 31. And every day, depending on the day that it is, I will pick one attribute to thank God for. So yesterday I was praying, God is good. And I looked down, it's okay, God, you're good today. I'm thankful for you being good. You are good. I worship you for being good, for being the good father. And so I spend, instead of trying to pray, praise God for all of his attributes, I focus every morning on only one. And then I turn the page. And on this page, I have this at the top, family, family. I have my wife and my kids' names. I have my brother's names, my mom and dad, my, my in-laws. And every day, I pray for my family for my kids by name. Pick somebody in my family to pray for. Then I turn the page. I have friends and staff and people I work with on a page. And at all these people, I have a day of the week next to their name. Again, this kind of structure may not be for you, but it helps me to stay focused. And so if it's a Monday, Tuesday, whatever day, I have different people in my life that I pray for. My best friends, people here that I work with, people that I have worked with, and so I pray for people by name. On behalf, there's a picture of this in the New Testament where we're praying on behalf of people. And so that's what I do. And then the last page is requests and other people that have asked me to pray for them. And so I have pages of requests. And when a request comes in, someone says, hey, can you pray for me? I put a date on that and I pray for that every single day. And when God answers that prayer, I put... On the right column, I put how God answered that prayer. And as I was looking through my prayer journal this last week, the the original prayer journal from years ago, it was amazing how to see how God answered his prayer, these prayers. Pages and pages of these requests that I'm bringing up to God, and sometimes it was clear, cut, and dry. Other times, God did something so differently than I was praying for but to know that God hears and answers our prayers. Now, again, I'd be happy to share more information if you want more information on that. I'd be happy to give you the prayer that I pray, the the attributes that I praise God for, if that's helpful for you. But again, it's not how that you pray. It's whether or not you're praying. That you are committing yourself to pray, to hand over, to surrender. Say, God, take this, take me. Um, it is a habit that we need to build our life around. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this time with one another. We're thankful for the testimony of Inky, the powerful story that he can share about how to live and react when things don't happen the way that we want them to. And I pray for all of us here this morning that wherever we are with you, whatever our experience is is with you, that we would come to the altar, fall down, and give you everything. That we would trust you. That we would trust that you know what you're doing. God, I pray that you would help us in our prayer lives to be focused and disciplined to take advantage of the privilege and power of being able to talk to you, our Father, creator, sustainer, sovereign God, that you listen and you respond. It's in your name we pray.
Amen.